how much I appreciate you all, you know, for even allowing me to come on this show. Bro, that gives me chills because um, we started the show be because me and Kevin both got out the army and we just kind of just didn't know what to do. Um, we didn't we didn't see anything crazy. We didn't do too many crazy things, but it was enough to take that mental toll. And we, were, we just didn't know what to do with it. Like we have all this information in our head. We're like, what the hell actually happened in my life? And so we wanted to get on, on and just talk about it. And we started getting on talking about it. We had a couple friends on and all of our friends just kept saying like, man, this is almost like a therapy session. You guys can't stop. So we just kept going and kept going. And now it's just turned into something like this where I could. Exactly. You. Hopefully I'm, I'm right down the road. I'm in Hudson, Newport Ritchie area. I just moved a little away from Tampa. So. I mean, we could even go get coffee sometime, dude. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I, I would definitely be okay. I would definitely be okay with that, man, because, you know, with everything that's going on in this world, man, it's like you have to find some positivity somewhere. You know, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, at-risk mentoring, team mentoring here in Tampa. I don't know if you're familiar with Tampa Housing Authorities, but I do a lot of at-risk team mentoring in, in collaboration with Tampa Housing Authority where they send me around the county and I speak with teams about, you know, uh, the pros and cons of, you know, uh, being on the right side of the law, being on the wrong side of the law, and then the penal system. And I found that to be a, a resourceful uh, means of a outlet for me because I'll tell you, it's like seeing all the death that I've seen even now. I literally, literally, when I reached out to you, Trevor, it was like I was literally just coming out of a, a really dark place. Uh, I don't even know how I stumbled across your profile <laughs> on LinkedIn, but literally Lord, that, that evening when I did, yeah, you know, it was like when I stumbled across it, I was literally just trying to pull myself together, you know, because I have these episodes where when I was coming out of that, that dark period, this is no exaggeration when I tell you this, I hadn't slept in like four nights straight, literally not no cat naps, not no, none of that, because I had this reoccurring nightmare every time that I tried to sleep that. I was back in prison and I had this guy that was trying to stab me. And each time that I tried to get a, a cat nap in or sleep, it was like every time I closed my eyes, that guy got closer and closer to me until it was at the point where he was literally within touching distance of me. And I became literally afraid to close my eyes and sleep because that guy, you know, that guy kept me awake. I really couldn't see his face, but he kept me awake many, many of nights. I have a small enclosed area where I sleep at. And many of times I've been in that enclosed area and all I can see is the faces of the individuals that I've seen pass away 
faces of death is what I call them. You know, people really don't understand the horrific, the horrific pain of the mental health aspect. People really don't realize sometimes when people are on social media, um, they're speaking of mental health things or what have you. That's a cry for some help. Yeah. I stay on LinkedIn because I try to advocate. I try to impress upon everybody. We have to learn a sign of mental health breakdown so that and we can that, better address. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll I'm sorry, go ahead. And that's, what, that's what we'll start on. So real quick, we'll run the intro here. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Let's run it. Yeah. All right, everybody, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. We are on episode 42 now. We have met up with Eugene Williams. He reached out on LinkedIn and has one hell of a story to tell. We've been chatting it up for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes now. I've had chills about the whole time, and it's just... Um, Definitely an emotional topic, so definitely, definitely get ready. Kev, to start off, Kev, how you feeling today, man? How are um, you doing? Rarely am I speechless. Oh, you got the wrong mic chose right now. You're going you through are? something else. Yeah, switch your mic over. Oh, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Ooh, a little technical difficulties. So we're switching everything around. This is actually new software, new everything. We're trying to figure things out to make it a little easier for everyone. So. How about now? How about now? Yep, there we go. We're live streaming everywhere you know facebook youtube twitter now so let's go kev how you feeling no i'm feeling really good no i uh we, we've been talking for like 10 15 minutes and i'm pretty speechless so i'm gonna try and think of some questions but no i'm, I'm really excited to run <laughs> run this episode well all right eugene man how you doing man how you feeling hey man i'm i'm, I'm blessed here you know i appreciate that you all giving me this come on here and you know kind of just let, let everybody know especially about the mental health uh crisis that we face here in this world yeah it's um like you were just saying it's it's hard because unless someone says something or speaks out about what's going on in their mind literally no one will ever know and like you were just saying society has society has become so bad at noticing the signs and me and kevin yeah, we talked about it yeah, with yeah, last totally. buddy. like in the army kevin kevin can go on about hours for this oh, in the cool. army that is exactly what happens no one understands the mental health signs we had a guy we this is actually the episode before this one so go check out that if you haven't but we had a guy tommy having manic episodes at work so he's tearing apart engines building them back up within hours like it, taking no time at all we're getting like stuff go, going at it, helicopter engines like it's nothing tearing it completely apart and putting it back together a couple months later we find out wow. he's just having manic manic episodes like so much energy inside him he doesn't know what to do with so he just put it towards work and when he got home he didn't know what to do with it so it just built up and built up and we have to get to the bottom of it and that's what society is doing so bad at is getting to the bottom of it because these topics 
are so incredibly hard to talk about. Even listening to what you had to say for the first 10, 15 minutes was hard. It's hard to listen to, man. Like, oh, holy shit. Like, this is this was your life. Like, it's hard for me even to fathom. Like, holy shit, this is your life. You went through this. Like, this isn't some story or some movie, just some YouTube video I'm watching. This is someone's real life, you know? And Definitely. for us to be able to give you a platform to just kind of go over everything that you've been through and just – like you said, you're you're now mentoring teens and putting that towards towards good use. So you're not crawled up in your own home, not putting it to use, sitting in your bed, and now someone else is gonna have to go through the same struggles you went through to get the lessons out to the world because you can't speak up. So thank you for joining us on the show. Um if if you're up to it, man, can you <laughs> can you get a quick background and the cause? cause for your imprisonment just kind of go through it again you don't have to touch every detail because it is tough i know it, it probably ain't easy talking about it but just real quick run through it again man because it's it's one hell of it's a, story. a dude oh bro yeah <laughs> you know I, I i i get that response you know pretty much every time when i go around the county and you know people ask that same question kind of you know detail the background that led up and until that point of uh, incarcerated um, and like I was explaining to you all before we started here, uh, pretty much a robbery happened. Um, everybody in the world knew that, that I wasn't the one that committed the robbery. It was my cousin's husband that actually committed the robbery, or armed robbery at that. Um, just so happened that as I was going to their home, I happened upon him. And being the nice guy that I am, I picked him up. And before you knew it, the Hillsborough County Sheriff was behind us. Um, he says to me, looks at me and says to me, are you going to run from them? And I'm thinking to myself because I knew back then that loud music in cars was illegal. Um, and he says to me, are you going to run? And I'm looking at him like, hey, run for loud music? You know, heck no, I'm going to pull this thing over. Um, not to mention I had a improper tag on the, on the vehicle as well. You know, I forgot <laughs> to mention that, but you already um, knew what you were doing wrong. at the time. <laughs> I, I, yeah. At, at, the, at the time I'm on probation and, you know, yeah, I was a little scared that I ended up going back to prison, but I knew it wouldn't be for long though. Um, long story short, it wrapped up in a nutshell is that, that once we were pulled over, uh, the victims of the robbery. It was actually a convenience store. And what I feel to kind of let all in on is that the store that was robbed, I was a supervisor for a pest control company. And this store was literally right around the corner from where I worked at. Okay. And the owners, the people that they brought to the scene were I guess you could say friends, you know, because I seen them almost every day, five days a week. So they knew who I was. But they didn't make ID on me. They said, hey, you know, they even called me by name. Hey, Eugene wasn't there. You know, it was this other guy that pulled the gun and robbed us. Um, I went into the courts. I sat on the witness stand and I blatantly lied. I blatantly lied to the courts. And to everybody, everybody knew that I didn't commit that robbery. The judge gave me what people would call a grudge sentence.
she gave me the opportunity to um, to correct that I was telling. She asked me, are you being truthful here? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, the opportunity. She gave me 18 years Florida State Prison. And I did 18 years day for day. No gain time, no, oh. no nothing. Just 18 years. Oh, my God. What, what if, if you don't mind me asking, what were you in prison beforehand for? Before this, it was uh now. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment, bro. One thing, one thing I want to say here is that I believe that the trials and tribulations I went were predestined for me to bring me to this moment to be sitting in front of you all on this podcast. Before, when I went to prison, it was for aggravated battery on law enforcement. And what happened was, here it is again, here it is again, this is going <laughs> to kind of rack your brains here. I had never, ever, ever stolen a car in my life. If my life depended on it right now to this day, me going out and stealing a car, guess what? I would be a dead individual. I had never stolen a car. But I was caught driving a stolen vehicle. And when the police got behind us, of course, your first reflex is going to be panic. I panic, tried to flee, and jump out the car. When I thought I was putting the car in part, I actually put the car in reverse. And the car oh. started going back at the police who were on bicycles. And I ended up with an aggravated battery on law enforcement. And that is where now... You. Now, now I, I didn't come on your show here to be misleading or anything. I like to give you the whole scenario here. Now, attached to the aggravated battery, on the 4th of July of 1990, police were called out to the Ponce de Leon area because of a separate offense that had been committed by somebody else. Me trying to be a part of the crowd, trying to be cool, blend in with the crowd. I fell victim to peer pressure. And when I say I fell victim to peer pressure, I started drinking Jack Daniels with the crowd. <laughs> Within an hour later, that Jack Daniels was telling me to go pull a gun on the police. Okay, Jack Daniels won that night. I went and actually, I was handed a, 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 a small 32 by what I so-called, a, a so-called friend. And what do I, my mind was so shot, I walk up to this police officer at their backs to talking to another individual and I stick the gun to the police head. Okay, now remind you, when I stuck the gun to the police head, the police froze. She, the police, it was a female officer. She was standing in front of her vehicle taking the report of, a, of this other individual. So picture this. When I stick the gun to the police head, the police has leaned over the hood of her car. Now this individual that she's talking to just to her left, when he realized what's going on, his reactions kick in. 
he reached out and he, he grabbed my wrist. And when he grabbed my wrist, with the force that he grabbed my wrist, he jarred the gun away. It knocked the gun into the bushes. When I came to realization that, hey, I'm in a real peculiar situation right now. <laughs> I took off down the sidewalk. Now, now, now here, here to create the part. I'm going to sum this up. Here to create the part. I had on this loud, loud, loud outfit that you can see from Fort Myers to Tampa. If I was in Tampa, you was in Fort Myers, you see that outfit. It was just out colorful. As I ran down the sidewalk, trying to run away from this police officer, I looked over my right shoulder. And as I looked over my right shoulder, I can see that police officer raising up off the hood of that car, drawing that nine millimeter and had it at my back. All I can do now is wait for the fire. That's all I can do is wait for the fire. That fire never came. It never came. I attribute, attribute that to God because that police officer could have dumped all 16 rounds in me and went home or went to the bar, told a colleague that I just killed this crazy individual and nothing would have happened. So that is why I was in prison the first time. Wow. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I mean, just just to hear you I on know. this side, not not um, not like full of remorse, not a, like you don't seem upset, like you you you've learned from it all. And and I don't know if that's summed up in Like if it's the summed up in a nutshell, I did. What's that? What's that? I, w- I was saying, you saying you, you said that I seemed like I learned from it. You, a situation situation like that, you had to learn really fast <laughs> because a situation like that can't happen a second time. Because that second time, I wouldn't be able to sit here and talk to you all. That second time, my family would be kicking dirt on my grave. Had it been anybody else that night, I'd probably be talking to you all. Well, everyone, there's the story of you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and now, one of my biggest questions that I've always thought about because it's a little, of course, it's a little different than um, prison. Like I was, I was, I was just at basic training, but when I I didn't know what to think or what to do, I was like, man, I just got to make it till breakfast, or man, I just got to make it till lunch, or whatever it is, I got to make it till the next activity. What? Like, what were the day-to-day thoughts that you had to go through? Because you're in there 18 years. You, like, you don't have much to do. <laughs> like, what, what were those thoughts? Really anything, those intrusive thoughts of what to do next or how to make it through the day? Um, here, here, here in Tampa, uh, Florida, you know, um, we have, like, little slang or, you know, Ebonics we speak at. I guess you could say names for different penal institutions. One of my first institutions that I went to was called uh, Sumter. 
Sumter Correctional Institution up in, I believe, uh, Immokalee, Florida. And Sumter was labeled as a baby gladiator camp. And here's why we named it a gladiator camp. Because when I got to Sumter, I didn't know what to expect, but I adapted really fast just paying attention to my surroundings. I literally had to sleep with my shoes on because things were so explosive in there. You never, you never, you never knew from one second to the next what was going to happen. I was, I was awakened one night with a guy hit me in the head with a, a combination lock. And I couldn't figure out, for the love of God, what the heck had I done to this dude? I didn't even know this dude. But it goes back to the mental health issue. He, he was disturbed. He had this imagined picture that I had done something to him some years back. I didn't even know this guy from a can of paint. And I was literally asleep and I was awakened by that combination lock pounding into my head. And when I woke up, I was disorientated, got popped maybe three more times before I came to, to realize who I was and what was going on. The situation was dire at that point because this dude was trying to do damage. In prison, it's unlike, as you said, uh, boot camp or the service. Prison was unpredictable. You can either be waking up with somebody hitting you in the head with a combination lock or somebody stabbing you with a homemade, um, what they call shake. And here's the thing. With the home prison um, weapons, I've seen them made. And what people do is once they make these, uh, the homemade weapons, they run the blade through feces they so that the feces and the bacteria will collect on the blade of the weapon. So when they stab you, if the stab itself don't incapacitate you, the bacteria on the feces and on the blade will eventually kill you. So it was really, really intense and unpredictable. Let me get this straight. They would dip the blade in crap and then stab you as if getting stabbed wasn't enough. Had to be covered in crap. That's insane. What oh it, it can be, it, it could be maybe the feces bacteria, it could be weeks of accumulated bacteria that's on the blade of that, that weapon. Um, but the blade will be rusted and it will have the bacteria of feces. So when they stab you, if the stab itself didn't incapacitate you, the bacteria from the feces would it be eventually kill you? 
Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh my gosh. I mean, you got nothing yeah, else to do. I, I, I mean, got nothing else to do. You know, I'm going to tell you, there was, and everything you did in prison, there was acceptable risk. And when I say acceptable risk, you can be in the chow hall eating. Somebody come up and stab you in the back. I've seen this. They, they, they have a uh, softball, uh, football that you play. I've seen guys out there playing softball, get busted in the head with the bats or get stabbed right down on, on the, the playing field. So you had to be, you had to, had, had to have your head on the swivel. But the, mo the most important thing with prison is that respect is what get you through. If you didn't have respect, more than likely, you weren't going to make it through there. You weren't going to make it. Yeah, why is you, it so... I mean, go ahead, Charles. Why, what was, like... What was your first thing like, on your mind when you first showed up? Because mine would be, like, all right, I need to find... I need to find someone I get along with ASAP so that we can figure, figure something out together so that we could both stay alive. And nothing's gonna happen to either one of us because if I have, you know, I die, he dies. Well, sometimes that that wasn't a really good idea. That really wasn't a good idea because here here in Florida, what they tried to do, they tried to keep. If you were from Tampa, they took the number of individuals that was from Tampa down where you didn't get these uh these clicks or gangs because they knew that if you got a few individuals that was from the same hometown that anything could pop up they'll click up and they start robbing people or start stabbing people or start a riot my thing was when i got there I guess my, my, my only thought was I have to stay alive. I pretty much became a loner because you know an individual that you're recruiting to be your, your buddy buddy don't have a bullseye on him already. How do you know that? And the way it works in prison is that if your buddy has a bullseye on him, when they come get him, if you're with him, they're going to get you too. So what I had to do, I had to just close my mouth, open my eyes and my ears and learn the culture that was around me, meaning the do's and don'ts, what to do and what not to do. I learned really fast that if you respect people, stay out of people's business, stay out of people's business was the, the cardinal rule, you'll get through there. I relied on my God. My God brought me through there. And it's by the sheer grace of God that I learned really fast because seeing people with, I know that you all are familiar with the footlockers. Footlockers. I've seen guys get knocked down and have those footlockers 
bashed into their head while they're on the ground. Their head just splatters. I've seen this. So I stayed to myself. I respected everybody. Although I wasn't a pushover, I wasn't a pushover where people can just come and push me around because I'm a, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be totally honest with you all here. We're men here, you know. Like I say, I'm not gonna come on here and jerk you jerk you around. You either respect the people, mind your business, or you got turned into somebody's play toy. And when I say somebody's play toy, I mean you were raped, you were sodomized, all of that. I've seen all of this happen. And just whoa. Like that's a real thing, Man, though. Like that's what you hear about. You hear about it all the time. It's like oh, everyone is getting raped in prison. Like, that's a real like, reality. No. The the and I'm gonna tell you predominantly. In prison, they label like Caucasian males. Although it wasn't, it wasn't just contained to like Caucasians. I've seen black people, but more so it was like Caucasian males. If you display weakness, more than likely you're going to be wearing literally. I've seen, I see it, I saw it almost every day. People getting guys getting raped, but when people come to me, when when the officials come to me and say, "Hey, we saw on the camera that you were in this area. Can you tell us what happened here?" Guess what? I mind my business. I stay in my lane because if you go to talking, you're gonna be the next one that they come for. I I did whatever I had to to get out of that place. I did whatever I had to. I mean, yeah, I can't even fault you for that one. I mean, you got to look after yourself, you know. You got to look after yourself, you know. There, there was just so much, you know. It, it just combined all the death that I seen in there. You know, I seen like maybe four people die in there, and each time. I felt like in my mind that, okay, that's normal for prison. But what I didn't know is that those images, those last moments, people's lives were being indeletably engraved in my mind. I, what I didn't know that down the line, those faces would come back to hunt me. That's it. It's it, it wasn't it, it wasn't promised, man. In there, things went. Nothing was promised in there. It depended on your actions while you were in there. Whether you made it out of there alive, man. I always consider the penal system, you know, I have so much respect for our service men and women, past and present. These people are the people that provided up to security where I can lay down at night and know that I'm okay. But I've always said that 
just like PTSD was possible, was a real possibility in our service people. PTSD is also possible in people who've been in prison and done any kind of amount of time in prison because I am a living, living testimony. I don't come on here to get brownie points. I don't come on here to sit here and jerk you all around about some fictitious story that I done made up. The things I've seen thus far have played such, such a big, big part in shaping the person that I am here today. Just a few months ago, on last year, the faces that I, I continued to see over and over are those people who died. The past 18 years, all wadded up and one ball just dropped on me at one time. I ended up renting a hotel room here, clo here close to where I stay at because I couldn't take the pressure. I couldn't take the pain. The pain of continually hearing people scream, continually seeing those faces before they, they died. I couldn't cope with that. And I rented a hotel room with full knowledge of when I walked into that room. <laughs> that I wasn't going to walk out. On one particular day, I rented, I rented a room. I had purchased a 22 automatic handgun. And as I was checking into the room, after I had been issued my room, the, the, the door key, I was on my way to the, to the room. And I know full well in my mind why I was getting in this room. Mm -hmm. I had no intentions of, on my own just walking out of that room. But on, on, the, on the way to that room, I passed a friend that I hadn't seen for years. We talked. We talked a little bit. friend said to me, you're looking real good. And I was like, thank you. But only if he would have knew what was on my mind at that time. Yeah. When I entered that room, yeah. I locked the door. I made sure I locked the door because I knew full well what, what I was about to do. I sat in the chair. And I pulled that gun out. I stuck it in my mouth and right as I was about to pull the trigger, my friend, the one I had passed as I was checking in, he came through the door and 
I was so confused because I knew I had just locked that door. Mm -hmm. And when my friend seen what I was doing, he says to me, what the fuck are you doing? And I broke down and started crying because I couldn't, I just couldn't cope with every day, the everyday life. After 18 years, I went in as a broken man. I came out more so of a broken man. I was released in 2012. Here it is, 2023. I still deal with that mental health. And it's not easy. I smile mm -hmm. for the people that's around me. But yet, subliminally, I give off these signs that I too am hurting. I'm hurting. I've come to that point where almost every day I thought about hurting myself. I would come right to the end of that mountain cliff and I would be looking over that mountain cliff, looking down at the abyss of nothing. In my mind, I would be hearing that you go ahead and do it. You will, you will have eternal peace. There will hurt, no more pain. But yet, on the same token, that abyss is symbolic to where the devil is. That abyss is symbolic to, I will be creating a permanent solution to what could be a temporary problem. I ask so much for when, when, when you're about to be released from prison, you go through what they call an EOS physical, end of expiration of sentence physical, where you see the medical doctor, you see the psychiatric doctor, you see classification, all of them, so you can be processed out. However, with each of those officials that you go see, the motion is what I would call prefunctatory. It's just an automatic type deal, you know. And I, I keep saying to people over and over, it's a more vigorous, a more robust scrutiny as far as the psych would have been given a lot of things that happens probably could be caught at an early stage. But when you're in prison, you're nothing but a number. You have no privacy. Even what you think, it's not private. And that is why I advocate so hard our turn into population because I've, I've seen people who come out of prison just to commit suicide. I know the hurt. I know the pain of the mental health aspect of that. It's not easy to deal with, but yet you try to keep this face on for the people that's around you. You know, 
for so many years, I bottled everything up. I bottled it up because I was just so afraid of making my burdens. That's not me. But it comes a time where you have to You got to let other people in because if you don't, people are going to mourn you. World. It's going to be a mourning. It, it is. It is. And still to this day, I still deal with it. That is why I'm just so, I'm so grateful of, you know, this show, you know, like I said, coming out of that dark period, I knew anything about this show. But, as soon as I jumped on LinkedIn, your Trevor, your your profile is the first thing that popped up. And I said to myself, maybe this is some type of sign from God saying, hey, here's an opportunity for you to share your story in hopes that you can help other people as well during your pain. Because I know I'm not where I was and I'm not where I want to be, but I'm still, still giving pieces of me, although I'm broken, I still give pieces of me to other people in hopes that I can help not go through what I continuously go through every single day. I mean, man, it's... It's hard because um, that's um, it's where the show the show stemmed from is. Um, I don't know if you looked into that our intro video or anything, but I I was in that zone too, man. Um, I wanted to commit suicide as well. Luckily, the only person to pick up was my little brother, and he did. And I'm still here today because of it. Um, but I mean, I I hopped in that car alone and drank a bottle a little bit and. Put a gun to my head just like yours. Like you said, if you don't reach out and Man, say people, something like, that's what like, you said, if you don't reach like, like, I, I, like your buddy, even I, even I, saying I, hi to your buddy that you just walked by, instead of staying in that mind frame, like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I won't be here tomorrow anyways. Why well, I got to say hi to him? You know, like, he hasn't talked to me in years anyways. What the fuck am I going to say hi to him for, you know? Like it just, it's so weird. And, and when I hear people so face a situation like that, situation and come like out that. on top, it's like you you had to have been talked to by a higher power. You something have had to have called you and said, "Look, man, what the hell is going on? Here's a sign to not do this." It's it's. You know, as one one of my signs that I took away from that is that when I sat there in that hotel room with that gun in my mouth, and I knew I had just locked that door. I knew I had locked that door. And I, my friend didn't have a key card. And then right when I got this gun in my mouth, he comes through the door. You know, and I'm like... It, everything was like real confusing at that time. But when I 
later on, when I sat down and thought about that, I said to myself, well, maybe that was a sign from the higher power that my hurt, what I've gone through, may be what other people need to hear in order to get over that hump. If, 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 if you all would have taken time, you know, people took, would have took time to kind of like read through on my LinkedIn page. At no time, I've always been what you would call a really reserved individual. Prison taught that to be reserved. It was the only way you were going to survive. Be reserved. Stay in yourself. And all the signs of me hurting, I was putting into a lot of LinkedIn posts. And the sad part about it is that out of all of that hurt that I, I was experiencing, there was only one individual that actually, I guess you could say he recognized the signs of my hurt. And he reached out to me and his name is Mr. Leroy Moore. Mr. Leroy Moore is the uh, the executive vice president of Temple Housing Authority. Him and I done became like really, really neat. When, when I completed my 18 years of uh, Florida State Prison, right before I came home, I learned that my kids, my two daughters, were in state custody and they had been introduced into state custody because of their mom. Mom had gotten on drugs really bad and she introduced them into the human trafficking trade where she wanted to allow older men to come into the hotel room that she would get for, the, for them to have sex with my kids to get money for her addiction. You're kidding. And no, I am so serious about that. And when I came home, I pretty much had to learn everything over again. I had to learn how to think independently. I didn't know how to do that because after 18 years, everything was so different. Mr. Moore of Tampa Housing Authority. These people embraced me. They pulled me in close. They taught me things that I didn't know. They taught me how to think independently. They taught how to consider others as well. And to this day, me and Mr. Moore are like the best friends. And those people have taught me that along my journey in life, with everybody that I come into contact with, even with you all, you learn a little bit from them. You take a little bit from them, but yet you leave more of yourself with them than when you came. And then you can you continue your journey in life and you continue to spread good news. You continue to educate others about the things you've gone through and hopes that you can pull other people to those same doors that you came through, minus the mental health issues. 
I didn't know how to think of coming out of prison after 18 years. I didn't know anything about being a single father. I didn't know how to even correspond or even conversate with my kids after they had went through such a, hor a horrific situation. I was in denial for a long, long time about this human trafficking trade of my kids because I used to always say that that can't happen to me. That can't happen to me. Yep. But it did happen. Yep. It did happen. So I guess you can see now where all of this kind of shaped my mental health state. It's been rough and I know it's going to get rough before it gets better. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, there was, um, oh there was a time when Trevor was, was over at my place. Was, I believe it was, yeah, me, you and Tommy. And we were making this left on this road in this car, like, like I'm making a left, the light turns green. I just hear this screeching noise, and I'm looking. This truck is plowing towards us. To where, like, if he didn't brake a little bit, like when he did, he would have just crammed right into us. Probably killed us both. We're all three of us. Right? And I thought, you know, if we were meant to go, then we would be gone. But we're still here, so like we're meant to do something. And like that, I'm listening to what you said, and I'm thinking, you're meant to change people's lives with your story. Like if. If you weren't meant to do that, you wouldn't be here anymore. Yeah. Just that on top of it's just so weird. Um, it's not weird. I'm very happy you have someone like uh, Mr. Leroy Moore because that that somebody for me when I was in my dark time not knowing what to do, that somebody for me was Kevin. I got Kevin saw the signs, he saw I'm not I'm not good enough to keep going. I'm getting out the army, you know. And and for me, that was that it's, was enough for me to be like, look, man, there's there's somebody here willing to help me out and keep me here in this world. There's got to be there's got to be a reason for someone else to not want me to kill myself like this. That that is a lot. If you if you break that down, someone else coming up some mine wasn't random. But for you, that's just a random person seeing your, your things and like willing to take that step. And help you get back to life and get back to reality. And like, look, man, put your feet on the ground. This is okay. You're just a normal dude. People go through this. There's nothing too crazy. And that was the biggest reason why we wanted to do this. Is because for some reason, no one knows they're not alone. For 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 so long, I that's just the way I felt. Felt that this was something I, I would have to deal with by myself. You know, and just hearing your story. You know, I it it is. You know, I I can remember back here. Let me go back and say, my my father. My father had been in prison one time too as well, and I can tell a lot of the uh, if a person haven't been incarcerated they wouldn't know what to look for in another person who's been through that. And with my dad, my dad is, he's so transparent where you can see 
Well, I can see because I've been through it. The remnants of being in prison, how you're so self-kept, how you're so self-reserved. And my pain became so much at one point that I started going on Facebook and I, I tried to create a little program where I started advocating to people that if you have one who's been to prison for any extended time, check on them. Check on them. PTSD, to me, is real. And our ex, um, our, 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 our returning citizens, it, it's real. Now, I remind you of this. When you say oh, somebody seeing, you know, and being there to hear your story or to help you through, I'm 40 something years old right now. 40 something years, I had never, ever, ever voted in my life. Never voted. But yet, I used to always be that guy when something happens or, or a house fire or there's a car accident or or something I didn't like, I was always that guy saying, oh, uh, I don't like how that happened. I, they need to do something about this here. But yet, I was a stereotype. I was a stereotype because although I was talking about I didn't like this, I didn't even have a voice in any matter. 40 years, 40 years. When I got out of prison, I encountered a group called Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. It was founded, it's a grassroots, a grassroots organization founded by another returning citizen, Desmond Mead. He's on LinkedIn as well. And these people picked up where Tampa Housing Authority left off at with me. Long story, it wrapped up in a nutshell. These people paid all my fines and fees, court fees, all fines and court fees, which allowed me to be able to be put back in the court. And I had my rights restored to vote again after 40 something years. Now, I don't have to be the guy with the rollers in my hair standing and at the crime scene or whatever, say, oh, that's a shame that that happened. I can also be that guy that actually make input, make my voice heard when it's time to vote and say, hey, I don't like this. Collectively, you know, no matter your social status is in life, no matter you, uh, if you got one shoe on leaning against the wall on the corner. I can be collectively a part of that loud voice that resounds around the world that pushes for change. My change that I'm pushing for is mental health. Because again, we have to learn to recognize the signs. People say this can't happen to me. That's not true. It can be your brother. It can be your sister. It can be it can be anybody. But we have to learn the signs. We have to learn the signs. Yeah, and the, the biggest thing, like you're saying, it could be anybody. On top of that, like you're saying, it could be your brother. 
and you could have no idea. Like when I came home, I moved home from the military. And like you were just saying, a person in incarcerated will be able to look at someone who was also incarcerated and be like, yep, that's just like the military. I can go into the gym and I will point out everyone in the military and everyone who was in the military. But the people who have never people who have never been in the military have no idea. So I come home here and they they just they they don't know what I'm going they, through. They, they don't know what just, I'm struggling they, with. They, they don't, don't know, know if there's I'm anything, you know. They have no idea. Wow. That is that is that is wow. That is crazy. That's crazy you said that because just like you just said what you said. I probably myself, I wouldn't be able to pick out the military guys, but I could tell you who be in the prison. <laughs> and and it's vice versa with you all. It's vice versa. And that's crazy, man. That is that is so some crazy, crazy. And that's why I say the I you know, I hear people always saying white people this and the white people that to me, mental health. Some of the worst issues we deal with don't have a color. As to me, as a matter of fact, don't nothing have a color. All there is is mental health. All there is is collectively, we as a community, we have to come together. We have to start being serious where we recognize that people like you, we come together, you teach me what to look for and the military guys, what the signs are, what, what, you know, what to look for when it comes to that mental health thing. And me, vice versa, teach you all what to look for in the returning citizen. That way, collectively, we can come together and when collectively, we can move mountains. One person can't make that happen. Yeah. This has to be a, collect, a collective bargain. What what would you say is the biggest thing to look for then for someone just a normal civilian looking to help someone who's been to prison and has those signs or whatever? What what would you say is the biggest sign to look for that's that's commonly found and that I could help with? To 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 me, when when you know because I got a mixture of military family as well too. Some of my family's been in the military for years and years. But when it comes to like people like myself, it's usually always easy to pick out those people because a lot of them they'll be so self-kept, so self-reserved, off by themselves. Um, um, and a lot of times, if you run across like on social media, when things are happening, people like myself, We'll post little things that, you know, that might sound really innocent, but when you dissect it and look at it, it's really a cry for help. And people don't don't realize that people because, like I said, if you go through my LinkedIn, my Facebook, you will see where I was doing like little stuff. Even with my dad, I even threw stuff out there that I knew my dad would see because of the hurt I was going through. 
I don't think he picked up on it. Or if he did, he just ignored it, which is a no-no. We cannot do that because, again, I was right here. I was right here in my dad's house at one point, and again, I almost took my life. I almost took my life, literally. All I kept saying to myself was, "My dad will wake up in the morning, and he'll walk out, and the first thing he'll be greeted with is my brains all over the place." And it, it, you know, those thoughts are like really scary because here, here's why they're so scary to me. I remember some, some time ago in the past where I used to always say, if this ever happened to me, if this ever happened to me, as the years progressed, that if turned into just when it happens, not if anymore. It's just when this happens, you know, and the sad part about it that scared me the most is that it became at one point where I was no longer afraid of death. I had seen death. I stared death in the face and I was no longer afraid of death. And that's when I knew in my, 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 my mind that this is bad. You know, it, it's bad. But every time I came to that point of actually following through with it, there were always a reason. Something happens, a purpose, surface where I didn't do it. But Tent has been there for a number of years. And, 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 here, and here's a quick synopsis of this. When I came out of prison, there's a, there's a street called 50, 56 Street that's here in Tampa. And what it is, it's a two-lane highway on both sides. I was going to see my probation officer when I came out of prison, but yet my spirits were so low that I ended up in the middle of 56th Street trying to kill myself, trying to get by a car. Um, as I walked down the middle of 56th Street, I looked over to my, to my right, and as I was walking down this busy highway, cars are, are like literally swerving around me. I looked over to my right, and I could see a Hillsborough County Share cruiser kind of pacing me inside of these apartment gates. He was pacing me and he's watching me. And after a while, it's like everything became a blur. And next thing you know, I was on the ground looking up in the face of this Hillsborough County Sheriff officer. He had actually stopped traffic and he tackled me in the middle of the road. People who were passing actually stopped to come assist the Hillsborough County Sheriff and subduing me. I ended up being Baker Act for some days. So I said that to say this, that is why I'm so avid about 
mental health and returning citizens because not only returning citizens, but incarcerated and people as a whole because it, like I said, I know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I got this is going to sound bad, but I'm very grateful that you are not good at taking your own life. You know what I mean? I felt bad. I felt bad. That's a good thing to be bad. I know. I know. Yeah. I, I don't no, know if you, you really probably can't see it, but on my arm, I have where I actually was cut. I was cut, you know. But again, like you said, I suck when it comes to that, you know. And I'm glad, you know. I'm I, I am really, really glad that I really suck at that <laughs> for real. No, it, I mean, it just goes back to what me and Kevin were saying, man. Is, there's a higher power that puts you in this place for a reason, you know? Like, it, for you to go through that many trials and errors, like, like it's, it's unbelievable. And all, I, I keep hearing all this story. You keep having run-ins with the cops and run-ins with prison and judge. This whole story would have been so easy for you to have put the blame on literally everyone else. Like from the second you came in and told the story, I'm like, oh, you could have blamed him, could have blamed him, could have blamed him. Like it's it's unbelievable that you're taking it and you're turning it into something like you said, learn from the experience and learn from what happened. It's just it, it blows my mind, man. It's another. I'm glad you can do that. And that is that to me. That to me, that's one of the, the most important aspects. Mr. Moore, again, taught they, he, he taught me this. Accountability is everything. You can never, ever, ever in a million years say that you have grown until you are accountable for whatever it is you've done. Mr. Moore impressed upon my mind that whatever your story is you stand on that story you be accountable for that story you never pass the buck saying oh because of this person this happened now I remind you I used to be that person where I was like oh man because of these, these such, such 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 this happened but no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 that's not me. Because if I were to do that, that is indicative of me saying that I'm just that old person I used to be. And that's not me. With every trial and tribulation that I've gone through in life, I have made it my business to learn from that to take the bad, you know, no matter how dark things may seem sometimes. I've always said, I say it to the kids when I, when I mentor, no matter how dark things may seem, 
sometimes. There's always a silver lining. Sometimes you just got to dig a little more, a, a little bit more for it, but it's there. You got to find it. And I've always said to, to the kids that I, I mentor, dreams without goals are just dreams. And ultimately, it fuels disappointment. But yet, on that road of your journey in life, you have to apply discipline as well as consistency. Because without consistency, let me say this, without discipline, you will never start your journey on that road. But without consistency, you'll never finish that journey that you started. And again, I keep saying to myself that I know I'm not out of the woods yet. I've even said on LinkedIn that I don't care if this journey I've taken upon myself, even if this takes my life, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to try to help as many people as I can with my story, with what I've gone through. I'm going to bring the due attention to the mental health aspect of this. Just yesterday, I met this uh, individual, Mr. Sammy Jackson, Pastor Sammy Jackson. And I believe that in my journey in life, as I traverse that road in life with everybody, including yourself, you all, you have to learn from people, learn from the people you pass in life. But yet, whenever you leave, leave more with that individual or those individuals than when you came. And it's, it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. And again, I can't thank you all enough for giving me this opportunity to actually come on here and tell my story as to everything that's going to happen in life. And, you know, because I don't know, had I not run across you all I would probably still be bottling all this toxic up. A lot of the toxic that I have bottled up, I kind of put here in front of you all. And I'm grateful that you all were able to accept that and offer, you know, good wisdom, you know, this good work to me because I know it's a lot of people like myself who would bottle that stuff up they would try to get it out but yet as soon as we were done you might hear a week down the line that that person done took their life because they couldn't deal with everything that was happening you all have created an outlet for me a outlet that i can now be a really appreciative of an outlet that i can actually during my journey in life that I can pass on to others and say, hey, 
man, these are two awesome guys here. They'll listen. They'll give you good advice. And man, again, that's why I keep saying over and over. Even right now, as I say this, I got chills over my body right now. Uh, oh, my <laughs> oh my goodness. I just, um, I want to say it takes a special person to go through all that you have and not let that turn their heart cold. It's, yeah, man. It, um, it's remarkable, dude. To be able to, because something like that, man, it's, you know, I watch a couple other shows and it's, um, they got, a suicide counter on there, like just of people, the lives they've saved through the show. And they're at like 500. I'm just like, man, I just, I want to hit that number. I want to be that outlet. And then for you to be the next guest on the show saying that, it means the world to us too, man. Man. Y'all, y'all, y'all have, y'all just don't, don't know. Man, I'm I'm broken, and I know I'm broken. But I I met some awesome people, man, and now I can add you all onto that list of people, awesome people that I've met that's helped me get through these darkest of times, man. Because I tell people all the time. This is not easy. It's not easy. No. People, they ignore signs when people give off those signs. And I keep, I advocate, we have to learn those signs. We have to learn the sign because man, y'all been awesome, man. That's all I can say. Y'all have been awesome. Y'all have been awesome. I can't yeah. thank y'all enough. I um, <clears throat> I'm gonna take this last question then. I'm gonna take this last question. I want to little brighten up. Is there is there someone that um has really affected you that's no longer here that you might want to talk to us a little about? Can you tell a story about? Yeah, definitely. Uh. My, my grandmother, who's my mom's mother, this lady, she was what you would call an old school, old spirited lady. She instilled values in us. But the cardinal value was no matter who you encounter in life, no matter if it's the homeless guy that's at the corner down on, on the corner. You treat everybody as they are the CEO of some Fortune 500 company. I before I went through my little my little bad patch in life, I was a supervisor at Tampa International Airport here. And the one thing that I learned about Tampa International Airport is that around the holidays a lot of the homeless people, they flock to Tampa International Airport because there are so many different cultures. There are so many different people from walks of life 
that come through Tampa International Airport. However, around the Christmas holidays, the holiday spirits are so, so tangible within the airport atmosphere. I remember at a time when I used to go to, through the airport, I used to walk through that airport and really not say nothing to nobody. But my, my grandmother who, who, who passed away, God bless the dead, she, she was a nerd back in the days. And when I was born, I had some lung issues where I had to be cared for around the clock. So when I came home, I came home in a basket she, reti she retired from her job at St. Uh, Temple General Hospital so she can care for four of her grandchildren. The one thing she instilled in us was spiritual values. Spiritual values. We're going to always lean on our God. The one thing I've learned never to do is go to my God and tell my God, how big my problems are. Yet instead, I tell my problems now how big my God is. And I treat everybody with the kindness that I would want to be treated with. I treat everybody with the kindness that that lady instilled in me because I knew that if ever, ever I was to ever disrespect anybody, that lady will hit you in the head with anything she can get her hands on. <laughs> but, I, but, but it's so serious. But the value she's instilled in me has taught me to be the person I am today. You know, and I think a lot of my dark times come from her passing. As a matter of fact, we had two. It was my, it was my auntie who were the backbones of our, our family. And then my auntie died in October, then my grandmother died in December. So, you know, that lady, Mary, her name is Mary Robinson. That lady is everything. She was everything to me. She was everything. And when she died, a part of me died as well. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm going to – I I couldn't help but tear up through that whole thing because – uh. When you said grandma, I got my grandma tattooed on me. She was the same way all growing up. Everything you just said, I mean, to a T, man, everything you just said is exactly exactly what my grandma did. It's still the value. Like, find out she has stage four cancer, comes to the table smiling. Like, like nothing's wrong. And when she passed, man, I, I didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go. Uh, it's a big reason why I ended up in the military. She always loved it. Uh, she... I mean, just passing on the kindness is the biggest thing I learned from her. But I didn't take the spiritual God aspect from it. And that's what really hurt me the most is when I joined the military, I didn't have that religious aspect. So when I joined the military, man, and this is I tell this to people and they think I'm insane for it. But I truly, truly, truly believed that my grandma was my God looking over me. And I believe that there is no way this woman will have anything. Definitely, 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 man. That's that's grandma is is just she was the backbone, you know. And I feel like that's pretty much every pretty much every family. Grandma is the backbone. That's probably one of the days. You know, 
your Thanksgivings aren't the same, your Christmas aren't the same. Grandma ain't there anymore. You know, grandma was the grandma was the she was the backbone, you know. There's no family family reunions no more. Grandma, you know, those days are just like when grandma passed, she took those days with her. Yeah. Wow. Um, no, Eugene, thank you so much. I wanted to ask. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask. We've done this on one other show, but I wanted to ask if you could lead us in a prayer to close out. Oh, yeah. I definitely will. Definitely will. Oh, Heavenly Father, I come to you asking you for your continuous blessing on Mr. Trevor, his show, and all that participate upon this show. I ask you to give all of the strength to be one, be a collective one under one God, seeing no color, no boundaries, love each other, be each other's brother's keepers. As we continue to traverse this world of ugliness, evilness, give us the love in our hearts to change this world into a loving world, a world that sees no color, a world that embraces all and continue to grace all. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you. Oh, wow. EJ, man, I don't think I could thank you enough. Just like you say, I mean, it will go back and forth, and it happens a lot with us, with our guests. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, my mom, and you know, and this this is why I wanted you on so bad, is I, when everyone I told is, hey, I'm having a buddy, or not a buddy, I'm having a random dude on who spent 18 years in prison. Ask me what for. So I don't know. Well, don't you want to know before he comes on? No, <laughs> no, I don't. He's reaching out to me for a reason. I, I'm sure he's got a story, you know. I'm very thankful I'm you came sure. on. Yeah. Got a story, you know. I'm very thankful you came And and again, I, I, I just can't, you know, you all be forever in my heart and my graces, man, because again, uh literally coming out of a dark time. You know, you all were the first ones that I actually made really a, a serious contact with because during those dark times, man, your mind is blank, you're confused, you just don't know what's going on. But sitting here, being able to sit here in front of you all, you know, talk to you all, you know, and just be so frank and forthcoming has purged me somewhat. You know what I'm saying? Man, you all. All are awesome. I will forever promote your show, Mind of a Matter, because that's what it's about. Definitely. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Well, thank uh, you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you next show. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Y'all going to have me around here balling and whatnot. It takes a oh lot to get me crying, bro. <laughs> Oh, I can think of probably two other episodes. But. Man, I appreciate y'all, man. Y'all, that it, it goes to show that you all, you all, we, we made a connection, man. And you know, if ever, you know, I like I say in life, there's things that I'm trying to do in life. Things as far as the advocation for mental health, you know, I, I, I'm gonna keep y'all abreast of what's going on. Maybe someday in the near future, you know, we can come back again and say, hey, man, things got better. Things are taking off, man, because. I can now etch and stone and say, man, during my bad times, my darkest of times, my shining stars were 
mind of a matter, Trevor and his partner here, you know, I went on this show and they offered some good, good advice, man. I am thankful to y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Uh, you know what? I'm actually, I'm going to send you my number through LinkedIn and we'll have to get together something, get some coffee. Definitely, man. I appreciate y'all, man. I love y'all and um, I wish y'all all the blessing in the world. Love you Sir, too, you man. Too, I love you too. Keep that head up. Death will. See y'all later, man. All right.